from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA, we go back to the man who started it all on Target USA. ISIS has a very, very uh, malignant and malign intent towards the West and towards the United States. But they don't have the capability, fortunately, at least at this point, uh, in terms of destructive power that Russia has. That was James Clapper, Director of National Intelligence at the time, on March 3rd, 2016. And his comments came eight months before the U.S. knew what Russia was trying to do with the U.S. election. He sounded the alarm well before Russia's election interference plot was exposed. Russia, in contrast, has huge capabilities, which if they chose to unleash, could render huge harm to this country. And in a brand new interview about his new book, Facts and Fears, James Clapper talks about that Russia problem, and he talks about his current concerns and worries moving forward about the country when it comes to Russian interference. But the hardest part of all this, uh, JJ, is uh, getting the public to understand what the Russians are doing, understand how massive the effort is that they've made and that they will continue to do that. And they absolutely positively must be more questioning, uh, more inquisitive about things that they read or hear. That's coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. James Clapper spent more than 50 years in the U.S. intelligence community. His last posting was Director of National Intelligence under President Barack Obama. He's written a book about his career. It's called Facts and Fears. He led the U.S. intelligence community through a period that included the raid on Osama bin Laden, the Benghazi attacks the leaks of Edward Snowden, and Russia's influence operation during the 2016 U.S. election campaign. In the book, Facts and Fears, Clapper discusses the growing threat of cyber attacks, his relationships with presidents and Congress, and the truth about Russia's role in the presidential election, something we focus heavily on in this podcast. And this is how it began. Why did you write this book? Well, that's a great question, and uh, originally I wasn't going to write a book. Uh, just It seemed to me a, a mountain too high, but uh, things changed for me when I understood uh, the magnitude of what the Russians did. And, of course, I say understood. This was the understanding I had before I left the government, and, of course, it's increased since then. But I, I became, I've seen a lot of bad stuff in my 50-plus years in intelligence, but nothing that disturbed me as much as this did because of the uh, attacks on our fundamental pillars of our political system. And I thought I needed to do my little part in trying to educate the public about the threat the Russians pose. When you look back 
at what you've learned since you left government because it was fairly clear uh, early on that you knew the Russians could do some bad things to the U.S. And in fact, I'll tell you this. Uh, Our last interview was in late 2015, and you said, I'll quote you here, Russia could render huge harm to this country, end quote. Did you have any idea at that time of what we discovered later, before the 2016 election and shortly afterwards, of course, in the, after the election in 2017, when you did your assessment and did the public, um, the public unveiling of that assessment, did you have any idea when you made that statement that Russia could do render huge harm to this country? Any idea of just the magnitude? J.J., you've done your homework, and the answer to your question is no, because what I had in mind when I made that statement was the other dimension of the threat posed by Russia, which we don't talk about much these days, which has actually gotten uh, more disturbing since 2015, and that is their concerted effort to modernize, modernize their strategic arsenal. And you may recall Putin's speech of the 1st of March, which was accompanied by graphics to illustrate about five weapons uh, one of which is called the Weapon of Vengeance. Uh, and all those weapon systems are designed with one adversary in mind, the United States. So that's actually what I had in mind in 2015. And I did not foresee uh, the magnitude of what the Russians d- did during uh, the run-up to our election. Now that you know and have seen connected the dots to what you suspected very clearly way before anybody else, seem to have uh, this idea. A lot of people seem to have moved on beyond Russia. And I've spoken to some people who've said, perhaps former intelligence officials who've said perhaps they had made mistakes, their own mistakes, by not spending as much time focusing on Russia in the years leading up to what we discovered in 2016 uh, and shortly thereafter. But uh, I'm just wondering, um, based on what you know now, and what you've seen as a result of these weapons, uh, some of them called the doomsday nuclear-type weapons, do you get the sense that they're of a mind to try to use these weapons? No, I don't think so. I think, uh, as always, this is not unlike um, uh, the Cold War era, and it has to do with uh, a lot with psychology and the need for Russia to feel that they are, in fact, a great power. And, in fact, this is, this is a, uh, I think, a motivation of Putin himself. Uh, he has this grand vision of, of a greater Russia. Uh, and I've always characterized him as actually a throwback to the czars, not so much a throwback to the, to the Soviet uh, era. So I don't think they're going to use them, but um, I, I worry about the proliferation of these weapons and whether or not we're going to keep pace and particularly with respect to uh, missile defense, uh, it appears we are, we are, but uh, that's, that's going to remain uh, a concern. One of the things that comes out in your book is, and I'm quoting here from some of the highlights, the reluctance of the Obama administration to be more assertive, not wanting to amplify the Russians or appear to tip the scale in favor of Secretary Clinton uh, in the presidential race, I'd like it if you could give us a sense of how, give us a sense of how difficult that balance was for you. Well, 
Yeah, it was because, uh, you know, there's a long history of Russians interfering in elections, theirs and other people's, and, and, and ours going back to the 60s. So, you know, we anticipated sort of, and unfortunately, a sort of an ambient level of interference and uh, fishing around our on our elections. But uh, over the summer of 16 and into the early fall, boy, it, that be, it, you know, we began to get, gather more information, have greater insight into what they were doing. And that prompted many long and intense discussions about what to do about it. And as you indicated, the quote from the book is, uh, you know, to try to capture that, what what were the inhibitors be, be, that uh, restricted or, or inhibited a more robust response? Well, one was, you know, concern about amping up or ampli- magnifying what the Russians were doing. And the perception, the optic, and President Obama, I think, is very concerned about this, and understandably so, putting his hand on the scale, as you said, in favor of one candidate and disfavor the other. All of this against the backdrop, by the way, of uh, Mr. Trump uh, beginning to uh, prepare the battlefield for his losing the election by uh, uh, alleging uh, that it was going to be rigged. And so the president was very reluctant to play to that narrative. And the other part of this was the uh, reluctance of the Republicans in the Congress to join in in a, a strong bipartisan statement uh, about what the Russians were doing. So all these factors played in, in a highly charged uh, controversial uh, election campaign anyway uh, that served to inhibit uh, perhaps a what some might consider a earlier and more robust response by the Obama administration. So the election happened, and Mr. Trump won the election. And not long after that, there was quite a bit of consternation regarding the the assessment that you made in in January, the the public release of that in seventeen, mm-hmm. and um, questions about um, the integrity of the intelligence community. Uh, we actually. Um, Maybe we did speak again between 2015 and now. I think maybe we spoke for a moment or two. About, yeah, I think we did. Yes, about about that, your concerns about the, the president's uh, beating up on the intelligence community. How much damage did that do? Well, I, that's hard to say. It's hard to gauge. Um, I think right now the... Um, uh, intelligence community is kind of not in the crosshairs as much as Department of Justice or, or the or the FBI. But I'll just I'll speak for them specifically the FBI, an organization that uh, I have great respect for, great admiration for, and uh, you know it's not good. You know, Long term effects of of the the, the president, the commander in chief, berating, belittling. Uh, Institutions like that. There's the premier law enforcement organization in the world, and that's that's not good. Uh, it can't be good for uh, morale of those institutions. It doesn't seem to have gone away. It seems to have changed, or maybe, um, maybe um, is not being employed at this point. But what we do see on a fairly regular basis is pot shots at people like. Attorney General Sessions, who's a member of the intelligence community yeah. as well. Uh, and so it seems to continue, although it doesn't seem to be directed specifically at the core organizations like uh, the the CIA, FBI, 
at, at, on a daily basis. But there's always something there that 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 yeah. I'm wondering how that impacts you as somebody who spent 50 plus years in well, that world. Uh, I think uh, the Attorney General Sessions is in a little different position since he's a, a political uh, appointee and presumably uh, a, a transitory. The concern I, I've always had, of course, are for the uh, professionals, the career officers who serve uh, in the intelligence and law enforcement communities, and those are the people that uh, I, I worry about more. Uh, people like the Attorney General, uh, Director Ray, Director Coates, uh, and now uh, Director Haspel, I think they have a uh, probably a heavier burden uh, in that they've got to provide the top cover in order to allow those career professionals to, to do their job. And the important thing for the intelligence community, I've always said, is for them to continue to serve up truth to power, whether the power listens to the truth or not. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, um, I've read Comrade Khrushchev's uh, instructions. I'm sure you may remember that from years ago. Actually, I don't, so you'll have to refresh my memory. He was the head of the KGB for a number of years, mm-hmm. and he, uh, in fact, came to the U.S. with Mikhail Gorbachev in 1986. Mm-hmm. A book was written by a defector shortly thereafter, um, and this individual um, said in that book, and he wrote specifically that President Trump had been essentially targeted by the KGB early on in his, in his fairly young in his life, after he married his first wife, the individuals who were instrumental in essentially guiding or, shall we say, managing their, the Kremlin's interest in him was a guy named Vitaly Cherkin, another guy by the name of Vladimir Putin, who worked in Dresden at the time. In the KGB. Exactly. We're talking with former Director of National Intelligence, Jim Clapper, who's written a book called Facts and Fears, a fascinating interview. And when we come back, something even more fascinating. Enemies of Putin or opponents of his, journalists is another category of people uh, that are caught up in this, who for various reasons and in various ways are neutralized. Also, when we return, we ask Clapper if Russian intelligence has compromised President Trump when we continue on Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. On this edition, we've been talking with former Director of National Intelligence, James Clapper. He's got a new book out. It's called Facts and Fears. We've spent a lot of time talking about Russia. One of the key elements that we just got into before the break was the relationship between President Trump, Vitaly Cherkin, and Vladimir Putin. And we pick up our conversation here. There are many other accounts and facts and people and uh, information that has been swirling around those three names for a while. What I've found interesting, and I want to ask your thought on this, is that Cherkin died suddenly. Mikhail Lesson died suddenly. Several other people connected to Mr. Putin 
have died suddenly. Others who aren't necessarily that close to him have died suddenly. What do you make of all of these scenarios where these folks that go way back deep into history that may have some relationship to him or Mr. Trump dying? Well, you know, there, there's a history here of, uh, of Putin, uh, apparently, because we, we, in most case, in all cases, we don't have direct empirical evidence of this, but we're enemies of Putin or opponents of his. Journalists is another category of people uh, that are caught up in this, who for various reasons and in various ways are neutralized. Uh, and this is, uh, a, you know, historical uh, old-time KGB uh, practice. Uh, I mean, that's, to me, is that, that's what Putin's all about. That's what, what motivates him. It's what... And so the way he thinks, I think, is heavily influenced by his KGB experience. So I don't know the specifics uh, of, of uh, the theory that, that you've uh, explained, but it certainly comports with uh, classical uh, Russian-Soviet uh, practice and particularly uh, something that uh, Putin would at least be complicit in if not uh, if he didn't direct it. So... Yeah, it's it's entirely uh, uh, consistent. I also say that the Russians look for every opportunity they can to co-opt someone uh, to gain influence, access, whatever. Uh, it, you know, an American who who has some prominence, and, and if they get the opportunity, they'll do it. And I, I think uh, so. That all of what you say is it, to me is consistent. So then I want to fall off the cliff here. Um, I've been very good and, and and very rigid along the lines of strict journalism, but um, one of the things that happens quite often in our world today is we, we get caught up in gossip. But uh, I want to just give you a heads up that I want to ask something that's not necessarily vetted or proven or anything like that. Uh, I do want to ask you, though, do you have any concerns about the president or anybody in his circle possibly being compromised? By the Russians. Well, yeah, I, I'm concerned about it, uh, but I don't have any uh, evidence that that is in fact uh, the case. I mean, that's you know, lots of people ask. Uh, you know, the, obviously the uh, salacious material in the in the infamous dossier, and and the, the Russians, uh, so like the Soviets before them. Uh, made a, it's a standard practice of theirs to uh, gather what they call compromise, the, their acronym for compromising material, whether it's real or contrived. So lots of people ask about, you know, what what is the explanation for um, uh, President Trump's, you know, almost aggressive indifference to uh, Russia and specifically his refusal to dime out Putin. And there's any number of potential explanations for that, but they're all speculative. Certainly that's one. Uh, financial entanglements, just the fact that he admires autocrats, uh, or as Mike Hayden once suggested, incompetence, or some combination uh, of the above, I really don't know. So uh, I don't want to spend too much more time on this because um, you did more things than just this. I mean, there's also in your book – 
this this part about Osama bin Laden. There's the Benghazi attack. There's Edward Snowden. So I'd like to chat a little bit about those sure. before our time is up. But, uh, you know, in reading your book, Chapter 11, um, you know, page 312, on December 4th, 2011, Russians went to the polls in what would be the most closely contested parliamentary election since Vladimir Putin and his United Russia party came to power in 99, when Putin succeeded Boris Yeltsin in power never left. Putin served two terms as Russia's second president, but was constitutionally prevented from running for a third time, so he stepped down in 2008, nominating Dmitry Medvedev to stand uh, for for United Russia. The question that I want to ask you after reading that, did you ever have in your mind that Vladimir Putin was ever leaving office voluntarily or when his term ended? Or did you always know that this was what was going to happen? He was never, he was going to continue, he was going to try to essentially be a dictator. Yeah, I I, uh, I, I thought the whole Medvedev arrangement was uh, a contrivance uh, just to, where the real power would still be Putin and that he'd find some way uh to uh, you know, contrive a, a way to come back, and uh, I always, I always suspected that, and you know, had no basis for it, but that's that was my view, and you know, that's what he's doing, and we're going to have him for at least six more years. Then, then my last question on Russia then is, how does the U.S. What's the U.S. going to do then to kind of uh, get back on its feet, if you will, because. By all intents, what Russia was intending to do, correct me if I'm wrong, was to sow seeds of chaos across this country and to create substantial doubt in the institutions of the U.S., one of which is the rule of law. And they seem to have succeeded on, 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 a, on a grand scale. I'm not sure if you agree with that or not, but um, where, where does the U.S. go from here in terms of, well, in terms of, all, of Russia? Uh, you uh, accurately captured the, their first objective, which was to do exactly as you said. So doubt, discord, discontent, disrupt to the extent that they could. And uh, and what they did was exploit all the polarization and, and schisms in this country. So they had messages for everybody. And unfortunately, the United States is, is a ripe target for them. Their second objective, though, then was to do all they could to uh, hurt Hillary Clinton's candidacy. Uh, and that stemmed from personal animus that, that uh, Putin had for both, both Clintons. And he actually held her responsible for fomenting what he thought was a color revolution in 2011. And then the, as time went on and uh, they began to take Mr. Trump seriously, like everybody else did, uh, after not having initially taken him seriously, they then thought that he would be a much better president for them than, than she would be. So those were kind of the three objectives. What do we do about it? Well, one is uh, yeah, to do the obvious things to secure our voting apparatus. And I think in their exceptions, but I think there's been progress made there. But the hardest part of all this, uh, J.J., is uh, getting the public to understand what the Russians are doing, understand how massive the effort is that they've made and that they will continue to do that. And they absolutely positively must be more questioning, uh, more inquisitive about things that they read or hear. And so that's, uh, you know, kind of the inspiration of the book. I said, I got to do my little part 
having an appreciation, having an understanding of what they did and do uh, to write a book that people could uh, understand that. So what would really help, what's missing here, well, parts of the government are, are doing their thing, the FBI, Department of Homeland Security, et cetera. What's missing is a strong, assertive recognition by the President of the United States as Commander-in-Chief of, of what the Russians did and the threat it poses to us and that we're not going to allow it to happen again. And what we need is a, a, a galvanizing statement from the President of the United States to unite the country. And, and it isn't just an intergovernmental thing. It is an inter-society thing. And we we don't have that uh, there's uh, that that sort of assertive leadership. Mm-hmm. Well, you did uh, a great job in this book in educating me, and uh, if you can educate me, then uh, I'm pretty sure you're doing okay with the rest of the public because I don't by any chance and and under any circumstance think that I'm the smartest guy in the room, but I do think that what you did in this book uh, was was very beneficial. In everything that you discussed, a couple more things before our time is up. Um, well, thanks, JJ, for that though. But yeah, go ahead. Sure. Um, so, some of the other things you write about in the book, Osama bin Laden. Give me your thoughts on that. Well, um, I try to convey, uh, you know, the the moment. I mean, lots of lots has been written about UBL and the takedown. So, I don't know that I had factually much to add to that. The, the thing I wanted to impart in the book was uh, the impact on me when I walked out of the West Wing and walked across the portico adjacent to the uh, Rose Garden there to go sit with a few people and listen to the president's speech. And there was already, you know, word had already gotten out. There was a, a big crowd in Lafayette Park, and they were chanting, USA, USA, USA. How'd that make I you will- feel? I will never forget the uh, impact on me. It, it was uh, been, you know, been closeted in the sit room for 13 hours, and really hunkered down, concentrating very hard on, uh, on what was a very tense evolution. And then to have that was, uh, I don't know, release. It was uh, emotional. It was impactful. It represented closure for the country, closure for the intelligence community. And certainly closure for me as an individual in the intelligence community, like it was for so many uh, so many of us. So at that time, what sense did you get about the fight, uh, the war against terror at that point? What what did you think? Where did you think it was at that point? Uh, because well, that was before that was before ISIS emerged. Yeah, at that point, um, because. Uh, Osama bin Laden was so isolated and uh, so cut off, he, it was very hard for him to be uh, an operational tactical leader. So he had become a symbol, but to be sure, an important one. But he was much more symbolic than he was uh, substantive, I believe, at the time he was taken down. I've always felt that we are going to be in a state of suppression of terrorism for a long time to come. We've killed a lot of terrorists, and we'll kill some more, but until the fundamental conditions that give rise to the appeal of terrorism, uh, are until they're fixed, uh, we're going to be doing this for a long time. So whether it's al-Qaeda or ISIS or some other group that spawned, we're always going to have to be vigilant about the threat of terrorism. Moving on to, to Edward Snowden. 
how much damage now that you're what what are we five years out from that how much damage has he done well if you're a taxpayer you're going to be paying for the what it takes to recover from the damage he caused to our foreign intelligence capabilities for some time to come and the, the problem is as Bill Ivanina, who is the nominee to be confirmed as the National Counterintelligence and Security Center director, recently observed, there are a lot more documents that he purloined that have not surfaced. There are actually relatively, comparatively, only a few, maybe four or five hundred documents that have, over time, emerged that he purloined. So you ask how much damage, that's not determined yet, uh, and that's why... I think uh, the intelligence community is on its maybe sixth or seventh uh, damage assessment that they render when uh, more uh, documents surface publicly, and then they go assess the damage. And so this could this could go on for years. Well, that's definitely not what I was hoping to hear, but it is fact is fact, and that's what you deal in. That's what you have to deal in. Are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us about anything that you wrote about in your book that I haven't asked you about? There are many things um, in there, and it's a fascinating read. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback like that, which is very gratifying. I think one of the uh, underlying uh, messages I I wanted to try to convey was that intelligence is uh, a noble profession. Uh, It's a sacred public trust. I think it's... uh, and I hope that uh, young people, you know, high school, college age, might, uh, if they read it, consider spending time in the national security community and specifically in the intelligence community. Uh, it's fa- something I always found challenging and interesting, and I think that's, uh, uh, you know, one of the reasons I uh, stuck with it for so long. So that, that, that was certainly another theme I hope to impart by writing the book. Well, uh, Director Clapper, um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and an even greater pleasure to have known you for a considerable amount of time and to have followed your career and had a few chances to sit with you and to talk to you. Thanks, JJ. I, I, and I would uh, very much appreciate uh, engaging with you uh, in, in the future. That's it for this episode. Coming up on the next edition of Target USA. Portugal doesn't look at Russia as an enemy. We look at Russia as an adversary. EU, member states, tightening the screws on Russia. Uh, We will never recognize, never, all the annexations, uh, for instance, of Crimea, never. And Jose Alberto Diazaredo Lopez, National Defense Minister for Portugal, has some advice about how to think about Russia's presence on the global stage. We believe that it's impossible to construct a a discourse on global defense and security, thinking only on Russia. And if we do so, we are contributing to reinforce Russia because we are building an image of Russian power uh, uh, that is maybe disproportionate with reality. The bottom line, while polite diplomacy still exists, gone is the tolerance of Russia's aggressive behavior. Coming up on our next episode, thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Please subscribe to our podcast and also let me know what you think. Send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com.
I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. Hi, this is Ben Dominich, the host of the Federalist Radio Hour. We're a daily show coming to you five days a week from Washington, D.C., where we interview our nation's top journalists, politicians, authors, chefs, economists, entertainers, and more. If you're looking for a contrarian discussion on news, politics, or culture, give us a listen and subscribe at podcastone.com, the new Podcast One app, or at Apple Podcasts. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.